1: And I've got some exciting news for you all. Support from All Over Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Get 20% off of free delivery with the code MALLOVER20 at manscaped.com. Manscaped has just launched in the UK. And men have gone for years and years and years without having the right tools for the job. You can be one of the first men in the UK to experience their life-changing products. I know over the years I've struggled many times with personal grooming, shaving, creams, cutting yourself, all that sort of stuff. But none of that is a problem with the Manscaped redesigned electric trimmer. It features a cutting ceramic edge blade to reduce grooming accidents. 7,000 RPM motor which enables it to work seamlessly through even the thickest of hair. So, go get rid of that bush, make it clean and tidy and get 20% off and free delivery with the code MALLOVER20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free delivery with MALLOVER20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will definitely thank you. Now it's time for a buy Habana. Hi there, I'm Brian Banner, and you're listening to the Mall Over Cod-
0: Podcast. Oh, Hello everyone, a uh, little bit different as you've probably already worked out, uh, Mall Over podcast with just Ben and Phil, giving you the news, views and opinion from across the West Country. Mostly views at the moment, innit? it? We don't get a lot of news. Uh,
2: there's plenty of opinions. We've always got opinions. Yeah.
0: To give. <laughs> old man, or, or the old man laughs at shouts at Cloud Podcast, as we may soon be called. Um, so yeah, Russ is uh, unavailable at short notice. I think he's doing some cricket coaching. I th- I
2: thought he was on the beers celebrating Mourinho getting the sack.
0: Well, that will give him the chance to celebrate Spurs coming sixth out of sick Thing. English clubs in the uh, new, much-anticipated Super League.
2: Yeah. No, I hope he is doing some cricket coaching because at least it'll be something useful for him to do. Well,
0: better than setting himself on fire. Just just for attention. Um, I don't know where Doug is. Do we know where Doug is?
2: I think he... uh, Is there some darts on or some snooker or something... Some kind of old sport thing that he's working all week anyway
0: again he's doing something useful while the two of us are sat here I think is probably the answer to that question um so I guess uh I mean it's a rugby podcast should we talk about some rugby
2: I think we better do
0: okay well we'll quickly go through the scores um Northampton beat London Irish 44 26 um I heard this was a good game but I'm afraid I didn't see it and I don't think you did either Phil
2: No, no, um, there might not be that much in in the way of proper rugby punditry tonight because I haven't watched much rugby and I don't think you have either. But um, no, uh, Northampton are doing pretty well at the moment, though, and Irish are kind of sticking a bit true to form, whether it's it's win one, lose one a bit.
0: Yeah, I think this season teams seem to be winning in clusters, um, which probably says more about the stop-start nature of this season than anything else. Um, I know, you know, Bath, you would say, are having a bad season, but suddenly they're on a a run of wins and might almost get back into it. We'll probably come to them later. Um, So, Phil, you did see the Exeter game. They um, pretty easily beat Wasps, to be quite honest.
2: Yeah, and actually, 20 minutes in, Exeter were ten nil up. Um and it fairly flattered them to be honest, because wasps were absolutely all over Exeter. They were they were running some really nice patterns, they were everything was clicking. Um, I mean, if that team were to lose Fecato, they would they would be half the team that they are. The, the guy absolutely runs the show in midfield, he he he's super aggressive in defence, getting right up in Exeter's face. The, the Wasps' line speed was fantastic. Exeter barely had the ball as a, as a result. They got turned over a couple of times as well. Um, and and Wasps, as I say, they were running some decent patterns and shifting the ball wider um, relatively early, getting a bit of joy. But it was just two little bits of um, little little mistakes that, that let Exeter in. So... There was a wasps had a line out on the five meter line, attacking line out. Got stopped short. Really good bit of bit of counter driving by Exeter, um, and just as Robson was about to ship the ball out, as soon as he took a step away from that ruck, Al Hepburn broke his bind and and just got. I, d- I don't even think he got contact on him before the ball was passed, but got his long arms waving in Dan Robson's face. And Robson passes the ball straight to Henry Henry Slade, jogging <laughs> up, jogging up in the defensive line.
0: I mean, never a good idea. You've got to say no, no.
2: Quick, quick inside pop to to Devoto, and Devoto runs eighty yards to score a try. Lovely bit of a blocking line from from Facundo Cordero, um, just running on Devoto's inside shoulder whilst. Um, I can't remember who it was, one of the, I think it was Rob Miller who was coming across to try and make the tackle. And every time Miller went a little bit quicker to get in front of him, Cordero went a little bit quicker. Miller slowed down to try and wrap behind him. Cordero slowed down. And then from about 15 yards away, according to the referee, Cordero made an inside run to take a to take a pass, otherwise known as a complete blocking line in front of <laughs> Miller and just let, let Devoto step in. And then, um, about five minutes later, turnover ball. Um, there was a, a bit of a nothing ruck in the middle that wasps didn't commit to. Uh, somewhere around the 10 meter line, Karen Dickey just picked it up and went, ran over the top of your manga, who l- looked like he was a tackling bag, like just fell fell
0: flat on his ass. A um, Magga's defense is a real concern, isn't it?
2: It is, yeah. yeah. Um, and then couple of couple of bits of quick hands ends up in the in the hands of that well known winger Johnny Hill who <laughs> strolls strolls over like a like a slightly discoordinated giraffe. Um but then but then come half time it was 13-10 and wasps and it was a score that didn't flatter wasps in any way, shape or form. But the second half from Exeter was just a different ball game. Um I mean they they just have too many players where if one or two of them click, click and have a proper game, most teams are going to struggle. And it was Stuart Hogg was, as much as anybody else on, on Saturday. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I I worry a bit about Wasps, particularly if um, there's there's a little bit of a rumour going around that Feckerton may well go for some big money um, over the channel. Um, uh, for the squad that they've got, they're seriously underperforming.
0: Well... They're not going down, are they? Um, no, no, I mean, true. I mean, in a, in a real sort of divergence for this podcast, should we talk about Exeter? Yeah, well, we can do, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I think what you just said is, is, is a real feature of Exeter at the moment. They, they re- sort of regroup at half-time. And, and, and I think you can tell sometimes from if, if there's a pre-half-time interview with Rob Baxter, he knows exactly what's going on. And they have gone away from teams a lot of times in the second half this year, um, but also, I mean, they've they've now gone out of Europe, and I think they've lost more games this year than probably they would have done in previous years. Is is that because they're just not playing as well, or are they keeping their powder dry? What do you think?
2: Yeah, no, I I, I think they're just not clicking. They're a they're a long way off a hundred percent, and it's almost a case of if they didn't have so many big game players who can pull something out of the bag they would be kind of somewhere around that that fourth position in the table but as it is they've just got enough players who can who can turn it around i mean the, the results apart from that that european game that they won against Lyon quite convincingly um they looked pretty fortunate to be in in touch at half time on saturday they obviously got well beaten by leinster they got reasonably well beaten by Gloucester, although it wouldn't you wouldn't say it was Exeter's first team. Um, again, they flattered to deceive against Leicester. They beat Quinns by a point. Um, and so you're going back, you're a run of four or five games there where they're not firing. Uh, and Baxter's kind of alluded to it in some of his pre-half-time talks that there's something there that just isn't quite clicking. And, and I think it's probably a bit of a come down from... Um, from winning, doing the double last season in a really strange season that finished very late, then almost going straight into this season, having the six nations, does it happen? Doesn't it happen? What's happening with all of our, all of our squad players. Um, and I just think, yeah, I think it's a factor of all of those things, but they're not clicking.
0: And they're great rivals aren't there, are they? It, It must be a bit of a sort of come down, you know, it's a bit like, um, Celtic winning the league when Rangers weren't there they don't have Saracens to sort of play off and maybe build to games against them and and you know they're probably favourites in every game they go into nowadays and that that must make life difficult um yeah um and I I just think
2: yeah it definitely does make things difficult and they I don't think they've significantly changed their game plan from what it was previously, and I don't think people will say, "Oh, they've they've been worked out." I don't think it's that at all because the way they were playing last season, even if you worked them out, you couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. And the problem is, last season they get the ball within ten meters of the try line; it's a try every time. And now, you you just see too many little knock ons, or they they just don't quite get the get the grouping right on the malls or, or whatever, but something just goes wrong and they give away a penalty or the giveaway a knock on or they get turned over. And that wasn't happening last season. It's just a lack of clinicalness.
0: So uh, maybe one last question with Exeter and then we'll move on and keep Matt and James, at least uh, Saracen's contingent and ent- entertained. Um, last week we were, Really concentrating on um, favourite dictators and animals we've punched in the head. Um, so we didn't talk about the Exeter Leinster game. I, I I didn't see that one, and I wondered um, how did Simmons get on against the Leinster back row? Um, he
2: was he was quiet. He was definitely quiet, and um, I think it was probably a fair reflection of what we've seen of Simmons at international level that he doesn't quite flourish in the same way that he does um when he's playing for Exeter that's not to say that he plays badly it's not to say that he's he's shown up as being a bad player you just don't quite achieve as much when you've got I mean just looking at the the Leinster team in front of me they've they've effectively got 15 internationals there Um, and that makes it very difficult whereas when you're playing a club side there's always a a slightly weaker shoulder or a weaker link that you can run at, or you're kind of making an extra two or three yards after contact and bustling forwards. Um, And it was, I suppose it was a bit like you stick an informed Billy against an inform uh, against the South African back row. And he makes very little yardage. You stick him against Italy and he looks like an absolute world And it was a bit like that. It's not to say that he did anything wrong, it just, it, it was just a lot harder for him than, than say playing against Worcester.
0: Yeah, um, I think I, I think that was kind of what I expected you to say, uh, having seen uh, when he played for England against Ireland, and and it was the same. It wasn't that he was doing anything badly. It was just he wasn't able to do what he does well as well. So, yeah, to, to probably our last serious point of the whole podcast is that. Uh, well, being, <laughs> there's um, this...
2: there is there are some players like I, I think Vermeulen, um and and probably to some extent Dave Yours, I think if you if you play them against anybody and they'll pretty much do the same job and they'll look exactly the same. Yeah. Um, but Simmons' game kind of suits having a few weak shoulders there, a few kind of lazy runners, bit bit more disorganized in defence, um just just things not quite being 100% right. Um, and, and in the same way that kind of Johnny Maeve absolutely flourishes against weaker back lines, it doesn't look quite so good against against stronger ones. Um, I just think for some people, they, they can maintain a standard because that standard isn't based around what the opposition does. It's based around what they do. Um, and for someone like Sam Simmons, it is very much about that, how, how he relates to the opposition.
0: Yeah, and I I guess the better the back row he's playing, the more defending he's doing as well.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: So, um, same day, we've got Sale just squeaking past Gloucester. Um, Harlequin's absolutely walloping Worcester. Uh, Doug was of the opinion that Worcester are now worse than London Welsh were, um, which I guess is the, uh, the result of them not having to worry about relegation. And a, a good away win for Bristol at Newcastle. Um, yesterday, there was a, a decent game at the Rec, uh, Bath against Leicester, which I did actually manage to watch um, yesterday. I think the first thing to take away from this game is that young Stewart at fullback for Leicester is is super. Um, you know, he's the definition of dominating under a high ball. He just came for everything. And he, I think he caught everything that came his way. Um Bath played very well the first half without actually taking very much advantage of it. Um, so they were uh, behind 9 7 at half time um, and then decided that they were going to lose the game in the second half, just gave away silly penalties, threw away chances, and, and, and Ford was playing well and kicking the corners and, and, and just slotting over penalties when he, when he got the chance. And, and Bath kind of shot themselves in the foot until the last 10 minutes. When Leicester decided they could do one better and and gave away a roughly a penalty every thirty seconds, it felt like. Um, and
2: so, a... so on the on the steward point, is is he the next kind of the next in line for England fullback now?
0: Well, you'd hope so. I mean, he's a big lad. Um, he seems to have a decent boot on him as well, but. You know, under the high ball, it, it was really impressive. Um, I mean, you had Watson playing at fullback for Bath and he's not as solid under the high ball. But once he gets the ball, you know, the opposition is in trouble. And Young's kicked very much like Young's often does and just overkicked his box kicks a little bit. And, um, you know... Made Watson's
2: w- job's easy. Yeah, easy. I mean, w-
0: Watson picked one up in his own 22 and he just shaped a kick and then he saw it was Genge coming at him and he just ran round him.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I have always thought with Watson that okay, I know you're a big fan of Watson at fullback and, and I would probably have Watson starting at fullback for England. I, I do wonder whether kind of picking Watson at fullback because he's a good back three player and he needs to get in the team. And of the like, you wouldn't stick Johnny May at fullback and no. uh, Elliot Daly shown himself to be a bit of a liability. And unless you're going to go back to Mike Brown, which Eddie Jones isn't going to do. Watson's probably the best of the people that's available there, but it does seem very much that like Stewart's got an opportunity, maybe not for the next world cup, maybe it's a bit early, but certainly after that to, to make Anthony Watson get seen as a wing again.
0: Well, I think, yeah, I I, I fully agree. I think if you asked me today who, who I would pick out the two at fullback, I'd pick Stewart and I, you know, I'd have Watson on the wing cause he's fantastic on the wing, but um you know he was great, and, and actually I've been really impressed with De Glanville playing at fullback for Bath as well, who's injured at the moment. Um, so so in this game, um, you know Bath scored a try in not quite red time, but with about thirty seconds to go, um, and you had to be impressed with Spencer, who threw a long miss pass uh, to for Muir to pot, dot down in the corner, which gave him an incredibly difficult conversion to win the game, which he slotted. So fair play to Spencer for backing himself. Um, you know, Bath had the Faletau, Underhill, Mercer back row, which, you know, we've been waiting to see for a long time. They all, they all played okay, with the exception of Mercer, who was really, really good. Um, but, you know, it was two teams that both did their best to lose the game. You have so, to
2: say. Um, I haven't seen the incident, but there's been a bit a lot of chat about um, uh, a penalty given away by Visa after Mercer giving a bit of afters, and then him giving a bit of after afters, yeah. and uh, getting penalised for the after afters. Um, yeah, what, what's your take on that?
0: Oh, I think, me, I think they were all being a bit daft, really. I mean, Hayes gave Mercer a shove, so Mercer sort of. Chased him a little bit and then it was broken up. And Mercer was walking away, and Visa gave him a shove. So, you know, I think really Visa doesn't not, not, need to do it.
2: Not a penalty at Cornwall Devon level. Is that what no. you say?
0: <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> depends on the referee, doesn't it? But
2: yeah,
0: handbags, very much handbags. Um, I, I don't think uh, Wade Dooley would have been impressed. Put it that way. Um, no. So, uh, in terms of rugby, really, that's all we've got in terms of what's happened well, this weekend. Before so, we move,
2: before we move off Bath, bearing in mind that it's it's just you and one other here. So here's your yeah. opportunity to rave about Bath. Um, <laughs> how how important is well? For a start, they they're looking like they they might have a chance of squeezing into the playoffs, which given that it's a bit of a nonsense season, would would still be seen as a bit of a success for them. Um, But how important is Ben Spencer to how they're playing at the moment? Um, And, yeah, what what happens post-Spencer? Is Spencer staying? Is he going back to Saracens?
0: Uh, I'm not not entirely sure. Was he a transfer or was he a loanee? I think he was a transfer, wasn't he?
2: I thought he was a lonely, but I can dig into that while you, you tell me about how important you think he is to how they're playing.
0: I mean, he, I think he's incredibly
2: important um, because... Yeah, you're, you're right. They did sign him on a three-year deal, so,
0: yeah, so I apologise for that. I think um, that Leicester were doing quite a good job of keeping him on the floor in this game because mercer seemed to be at scrum half almost as much as spencer was um and i think that a scrum half being sort of not targeted i don't think that's a fair fair phrase but uh as a focus for the defense is, is a compliment to him but he's a threat he's a threat with the, with his running because he will you know have a dart around the base he's got decent service it's probably not the best but it's certainly not the worst and of course his his box kicking is absolutely spot on i mentioned young's was hitting them too young uh too too young <laughs> too long um <laughs> that's a, that's that's quite an allegation um it is yeah um other than one, he completely shanked spencer was every single one was spot on which which almost made what Stewart was doing more impressive and and you know what that means is if it's not competed for whoever's catching it is getting Sam Underhill in their face uh, as soon as they, ki- as they catch it. So I think Spence is incredibly important. I believe they've let Chudley go. Um, and, and, and I think that having him in there has helped Bath a lot in the last two games, especially because they've lost their fly half in the first 20 minutes for the last two games. They've already got a youngster or a, a sort of part-timer in there or you know at the start of the game at the moment because the two starters are injured so having I think would you, would you say Spence is the closest we've got to a French style nine
2: yeah um he's kind of got that uh that Morgan Parra like abrasiveness without being so French about the whole thing yes um he's in some ways he reminds me a bit of Mike Phillips um but I think that's just because he's a bit taller than most Scrum halves. Yeah, I think so. Um and I do wonder whether um you kind of you need a back row who can quite happily step in there because he will get involved a bit more than other scrum halves. Yeah. Um, absolutely. You, you you rarely see Dan Robson clearing people out of a out of a ruck, but if Spencer has to, he'll go and do it without yeah. thinking too much about it. But he's I don't know, I I really rate him. Um and I I think obviously he was pretty instrumental in, in kind of the long-term success of Saracens as part of that squad. Um, And I suppose the concern was going to be, how does that transfer to another team? And I think he's, he's done a pretty good job to be honest so far. And, and I agree. I think he is pretty important to particularly with the issues they're having at 10. Um, I mean, if you, if you look at 12, 13, 14, 15, that started on, um, on Saturday, got Red got Redpath, Joseph, Kockenasinger and Watson, you've just got to get the ball out there to them and let yeah. them do what they do as much as possible, which means that you need a nine who can, who can distribute really well, but also keep that, keep those fringe players honest. And I think that's what he does a good job of. I mean, Ben Young's used to do a really good job of, of making sure that those, um, those guards don't move because they have to keep an eye on him and he's stopped doing it quite so much now. Um, but I think Spencer's big enough and and makes enough of those darts that he keeps keeps those guards honest whilst distributing really well.
0: Yeah, I think Young's has really um, dropped off on that, and I think I think you're absolutely right in that Spencer is the best at that of the English scrum halves, and also he's got the um, support lines nailed down. Uh, Robson, yeah. of course, is good at that as well, but he runs that sort of Dupont yeah Smith kind of line really well um so after what sounded worryingly like
2: a rugby podcast rugby analyst (laughs)
0: analysis for 24 minutes um should we should we go to some ask mo yeah yeah let's do that we've got some uh again from um from our good friend salty nor's with two z's um he's his twitter handle is is i'm just not going to try it you've all heard my pronunciations um so so following following phil's sort of humble brag about um decking a lion last week um he asks what is the biggest most scary animal you'd be willing to have a fist fight with um i think
2: there's a big difference between what would be the biggest and what would be the scariest yeah because there are some quite big, quite stupid animals. Um, oh God, that's a that's a really challenging one because um, I would rather under-egg my, my ability yeah. to make sure I win. I'd rather go for like a like a giant lop rabbit than, <laughs> yeah. than
0: go for, for anything Mate, too big and scary. <laughs> I've seen Watership Down way too many times <laughs> to be fighting a giant lop rabbit.
2: Um,
0: I think with... We'd I've all seen Monty do...
2: Python and Search for the Holy Grail. Yeah. I
0: think we should, probably, we should probably warn the audience now that um, with just the two of us on here, there's probably going to be significantly less comedy and entertainment and significantly more farm animal chat. So um, so if if, if if that's not your bag, maybe just uh, come back next week. But
2: um, I'd definitely take on a, a slightly narked alpaca just because I really don't like them.
0: They, I mean, they're quite related to llamas, aren't they? So yeah, um, but
2: but yeah, a bit softer.
0: Yeah, I mean, no one's going to fight a llama. Very good guard dogs, llamas, despite not being dogs.
2: So yeah, also apparently alpacas are very good at keeping foxes away.
0: There yes. Yeah. We've um, moved into
2: a nature podcast now.
0: Yes. So so any any sort of any rise on an alpaca or is that oh, your no no.
2: I'm going to stick with an alpaca, either that or a, or a lame donkey on a beach.
0: I mean, I mean, I'm thinking an alpaca with its sort of head on a long neck would be quite a good sort of, like a punch bag.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they swing back towards you. you yeah. You've got, to, you've got to duck and bob a bit.
0: I mean, I think, I think you're right. I don't think you want to be going much larger than that, do you? Because, you know, I mean, animals are, are just scary, a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I was thinking maybe a sheep would be my limit.
2: Yeah. But oh Christ. Yeah, it depends on the sheep.
0: But exactly. I then I started thinking like a Texel ram would probably just just steamroll. The yeah. yeah.
2: They they barrel you over and then trample all over you when you're on the floor. I reckon I could take on a, a bear. bear. A, a bear? koala. a koala, yeah, bear.
0: koala bear. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: Not going any bigger than that. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult one. I think you know uh, either a. Um, a sort of box standard sheep would be my upper limit. Um, but again, some of the mu- the muscle men would uh, probably get the best of me. So, so we're talking um, the kind of animal you could use a, as the footrest really is, is probably the limit we've got there. Um, I've noticed you, you and Duke. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want to fight Duke. I've got to say he's, he's, gonna... oh, <laughs> He's quite built, so. Um,
2: You'd probably also end up fighting Sarah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so there, there we go. There's some some red hot animal chat. Um, he also says your your bedside manner with the cows must be outstanding. Once they're playing up, you just whisper in their ear. I knocked a lion out once, and then they chill out. Yeah, um, they just
2: stand there quietly and take what they have got coming.
0: So, so, yeah, there, there we go. There's the, um, the, the banter section of the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, Phil, you have some issues, and I'll just leave that there, um, yeah. arising from the, the, the soccer ball news of yesterday. Yeah,
2: well, I just thought we could um, – it's very relatable to some of the conversations that are going on in rugby at the moment um so for those of you that avoid football like the plague like we all should um there's this announcement of a of a breakaway league um top let's let's say there are 12 clubs from England Spain and Italy talking about setting up their own breakaway competition against um the Champions League effectively saying that fans want to see quality t- matches against quality opposition every week um but let's not kid ourselves, this is all about money and this is about ring fencing. So this is about the top clubs securing their ability to get as much money out of it as possible. Um and let's let's just take for example one of those clubs, Man United, aren't even in the Champions League, um, because they didn't do well enough last season. Uh let's let's have a look at another one. Arsenal not in the Champions League, but not only that, they're currently ninth in the table and they managed a, a highly successful draw against fulham yesterday <laughs> um and spurs considering themselves one of the the big six in england is like a banana man considering himself one of uh the the marvel big six group. in the avengers <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> so um but yeah it's it's about money and it's about ring fencing um and and in that regard, it's very similar to the conversations that are going on about uh, ring fencing the premiership. Um, it's also very similar to some of the conversations that have happened historically around the European competition um, in uh, in rugby. And I just think this this trend towards, I mean, in cricket, you've now got franchises in the hundred. This this trend towards um, financial institutions rather than clubs. And those institutions being set at the top tier ad infinitum just ruins everything that I like about sport. I love the fact that Bristol, whenever it was three or four seasons ago, were in the championship. I love the fact that Exeter Chiefs were in the had had only just made it to the top tier for the first time ten years ago and are now considered a mainstay at the top. I I love the fact that you've got Leicester Tigers who, for all of my time growing up, were one of the top two with with Bath um, have had times when they've looked like they're going to get relegated and drop out of the, the top division. That to me is what sport is about. It's about having winners and having losers. It's not about, and we've seen what's happened to the premiership this season with no relegation. Worcester are fielding a team of people who literally couldn't give a shit. Gloucester have done their very best to try and get fewer points than Worcester. Newcastle hit the hit the game hit the guns running, and since then have have kind of given up the ghost a little bit. And basically, everyone now uh, let's you know, let's squeeze Leicester in for argument's sake. Everyone now below Leicester, so the bottom five teams out of twelve have literally nothing to play for. Yeah. Leicester, Bath, and Irish could maybe maybe if 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 all of the things collide in the right way. Squeeze into the top four, but give it another game, and and for a couple of those, that will probably be out of the equation. And then you're down to five teams fighting for the for the top four, and everybody else just totally dialing it in. Now, you you have a season where there's no relegation from the very start. Up. What what happens? So, the, what they're talking about is two divisions of ten teams, and the top four, top well top three automatically go to, through to a quarterfinals, and fourth fifth have a have a playoff say you lose your first three games you're out of it you've got bugger all chance of getting getting through to that knockout stage so you then spend the rest of the season just totally dialing it in and and trying to bring your money in um and it's it's just a an absolute farce so and i know there's people there's there's let's call them rugby fans um, and I'm and I'm doing inverted commas when I say the word fans who think that ring fencing would be a good idea because it's always the same twelve to fourteen teams there or thereabouts who are who are in the Premiership and nobody else is really breaking in and staying in. Well, that may be the case, but as I say, Bristol have been up and down multiple times and now at the top. Exeter are, are, are up towards the top. Worcester four or five years ago were in, or ten years ago were in the. I think they were in National 2, something like that, in the the equivalent of the fourth division. Now, if you lose that ability for a team to drive up through, you're taking away a lot of those aspirations. Um, I heard a Blackburn fan talking about it and saying that he supported Blackburn from winning the, the Premier League to being in, in League One. But that that carrot of potentially getting back up to the top again is what is what kind of swings a lot of fans towards coming to watch their team Week in, week out, and you take that away, and it's it's all gone. Now, let's say in the Premiership, they they ring fence with twelve, the twelve that are there, plus Saracens and Ealing, which I think is what's the the hope. Now, Doncaster have been around getting in for so flipping long that that would just be massively harsh on them. Pirates have been pumping there or thereabouts for a while, but you've you've got other teams that. 20 years ago, were mainstays of the top divisions. Your, your, Richmans, your um even even when you go into the National League, there are teams, your Rotherhams and, and the like, that um, have been up, up at the top, that have now massively dropped down. It's got to work both ways. There's other teams that have got the opportunity to go up. Um, and I, I think, just think, yeah, think, Leeds, bottom, bottom of National League one now, but
0: yeah. I think these these people are like kids at Christmas um you know when you're a kid you're like oh I wish it was Christmas day every day because Christmas day is brilliant and and actually when you get a bit older you realize Christmas day is br- brilliant because it doesn't happen every day and that's what sports like that's why Eng- England against the All Blacks used to be a real event because it happened infrequently and it's why the Lions is still an event because we're if, if, if they picked a lion squad once every three months, we wouldn't be as interested in doing all these different picks and stuff. And so... It's and I just, don't
2: think it would mean as much for the players either.
0: No, and it's just people trying to milk a sort of cash cow in, until it goes dry, and, and, and it's just not... It's not but I don't, think for, I don't think sport is run for fans anymore. No, um, it's not. Because, I mean, it, it, it easily in 10 years... There could be nothing for us to watch because rugby could be unrecognisable because of the concussion issue. It doesn't matter what you think of of the decisions and the rules that are made. If you don't like them or you like them, it, it, it there's the there's the possibility there that the sport's going to be unrecognisable in ten or fifteen years. Football, if this goes through, could be something completely different. And twenty twenty could just eat cricket alive. It could all that would be all there is. So. You know, and it's all to do with money. It's all to do with getting more games. Um, and
2: inter- interestingly, um, let's ignore the hundred. I, I'm probably more interested now in the county championship than I have been for, for years. Um, and obviously cricket's been relatively ring-fenced for for decades. Um, I, I can't remember the last team that's kind of come up from minor counties to, to the county championship. Yeah, well, nothing but since Durham, is it? no well and and i don't know when that was but they've they've taken a format that became a bit dry um became a bit samey samey um because you've got eight of the same sides in division 2 and six of the same sides in division 1 and a few moving between them and they've gone right let's mix it up and do something a little bit different and come up with this kind of three I don't even know what they call them. You can't can't call them divisions, but three groups yeah. that that play everybody. So all of a sudden you're playing different sides, you're playing sides that you haven't played for ages, and you, you and and there's a bit more interest around it. Now that may well be because um, Hampshire have absolutely dicked their two opposition in the first two games, which never happens. Um, but yeah, I'm finding the county championship a, a bit more interesting. If they'd have gone the other way and say, right, we're going to ring fence with those six that are always up, and the rest of you guys can just play around and be feeder clubs, I think I wouldn't give a shit about the county championship.
0: Yeah, I just think, uh, yeah, money's talking, and it's always going to, but it's just a shame. I, 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 I've said a thousand times on this podcast, the European Cup would be a, a far better tournament in rugby. If it was just eight teams and they started at the quarterfinals or even if they just made it straight knockout from the start.
2: So, so I kind of, so a large part of me kind of agrees with your, your eight team site, eight team approach, because it's, it should be about the champions. Uh, In fact, sod eight teams, let's go with four, because it should be about your champions. But actually I've got nothing against extended tournaments. You just make them straight knockouts. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, let's get 32 teams in straight knockout from the start. Done. Um, it's, the, it's the magic of the FA Cup in another name. It's it's the old Pilkington Cup in rugby that everybody yeah. loved and was a massive thing for teams to win. And since it's gone, nothing's been able to replace it because they piss about with these little tables and and yeah, they just they can't can't look at a format and go that's what fans like because yeah. it because it limits your number of games. That, they, they and that's don't, they the don't,
0: issue. They don't want fans. They're, they're gambling on us still watching it. They want new people, and to, they, and to get new people, they need they need tries, they need runs, they need goals, and they don't really care. And and yeah. and there's a there's a good article I, I I I didn't read the whole thing, but I saw some quotes from it by um, Jonathan Liu in the um, in the Guardian. Because of course I'm a uh, very left-leaning God. Guardian reader on this, on this fascist podcast. Um, but um, he, he's just saying, you know, although we don't want Real Madrid against Liverpool, the, 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 kid, the kid at home who's going to um, bully his dad into buying a shirt for each does. He wants Real Madrid versus Liverpool every week.
2: And I will tell uh, you, who else wants Real Madrid versus Liverpool every week? Real Madrid it's, and Liverpool. <laughs> Real Madrid, Liverpool. Uh, but it's it's China want it yeah, every week,
0: absolutely.
2: Um, and and that's the point: is sport has become more about how many shirts and how many subscriptions can you sell in in Southeast Asia, and not how many fans can you get in through the gate because you're playing the the best. Um,
0: and of, of best course, sport. cricket is the same, but substitute China for India. Yeah. Exactly. cricket aren't, cricket aren't even interested in the Chinese market because of yeah. India um, if you get the chance to watch death of a gentleman do that but um but if, yeah, the, I, if
2: the if the Indians got into football then football will care about what India say exactly. as well but
0: yeah one one last point before we move away from football on this rugby podcast is is uh, I haven't read enough about it and I could just be uh, being a cynic here because as soon as I saw the news I kind of just sort of weary resignation but do you think it might be a bargaining point they, they've kind of gone in saying we're going to break away but actually what they want is for the midweek um champions league to be a uh just a league with a league format without um anyone getting knocked out so that they can all play each other and and do you think that might be how it ends i sort think of-
2: I think it Infected started compromise. very very much as a bargaining tool in terms of we want, we need more money out of it. So not ne- not even necessarily we want to play each other so that we play more high profile games. I think part of it is um Man United don't want to go to Trebzonspor or um some team in Azerbaijan or, or someone yeah. like that. Um and they would almost rather foreshorten the first um table stage and have team skipping to the second table stage and then have more more good matches um but also i think the point is that so much of the champions league revenue gets skimmed by uefa and the clubs think that they should be getting more of it so i think it definitely started as a bargaining tool and i think uefa just went nah fuck you we're uefa we don't need you and then they (laughs) went well actually we're serious and they went okay then go on then but you won't be playing in your own leagues and you won't be playing uh none of your players will be playing for their, for their countries. So yeah, crack on. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think it's turned into a bit of a, yeah, fuck you no, Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you kind of situation where they're like escalating to the point where, where nobody feels strong enough to back down. But, yeah. So someone's I mean it's, to
0: knock their heads together.
2: The press release has come out very much like this is a done deal and nothing's, nothing's mm-hmm. going to change it. Um, but,
0: so, so Phil, um, We've got some questions from uh, from Matt.
2: I know. I've just seen them.
0: Um, I'm not touching one of those with a barge pole. Is that the bottom one? No, the middle one.
2: Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, mainly because Matt's misspelt benefits,
0: but we'll, he know. has, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um Phil, what would you what what would you name your boat if you had one? Um.
2: Uh, so. I think I, would, I think I would have a relatively small boat. I wouldn't go for anything too over the top, but I would give it a really ostentatious name, like the Golden Princess or I've Got More Money Than You on, yeah. a, little, on a little 10-foot fishing boat, just, to, <laughs> just so the ju- juxtaposition doesn't look quite right. What about yeah. yourself? Oh, well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, You'd call it something in Cornish,
0: probably. Oh, what a good idea. Yeah, what's Cornish for boat? Nice boat.
2: <laughs> nice boat. <laughs> uh,
0: let's look it up. Talk amongst yourselves. Um, there's a, 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 a chap that we, uh, that we know who uh, used to be in the Royal Navy. Um, and uh, my dad told me this story. So how accurate it is I don't know. But he was sailing in um, Sydney Harbour. And um, the Australian Coast Guard came alongside and said, oh, just so, just so you know, very, uh, very strong tides in this harbour. Um, have, have you sailed it before? So he said, well, yeah, I have. And they were like, oh, yeah, what, a uh, little, little dart dinghy? And he was like, no, no, the Ark Royal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you got to love embarrassing Aussies.
0: Yeah, so, so there is, uh, there's, there's, there's a boat story for you. Um, I've never really thought of having a boat, Phil, I've got to say um i uh,
2: i'd I'd quite like just so i like i quite like wakeboarding um mm. so something you can get out and do do a bit of that I quite like diving um and I quite like just being out in the water so i I have thought about having a boat it's on the wish list, but the wish list is really quite long, and it's probably somewhere in the middle
0: yeah i'm not great I'm not a very good swimmer so uh
2: yeah it's probably not a good idea for you then. I'm still just, looking. I, I you're still looking look up. Okay. You're still looking
0: up boat. Yeah, I'm still looking up boat in Cornish, and I'm not finding it. So um, let's let's abandon that idea. Um, I would call it. Um, I don't
2: know. Bill. Bill, good yeah. work.
0: Yeah. Um. Okay, we've got some rugby questions here from, from Ben Bacon. Um, Why are refs so clueless about front row penalties?
2: Um, Because most front row players are clueless about front row penalties. That's
0: very true.
2: So that's the flippant answer. Um, The honest answer is because not many refs have played in the front row. um, So they don't entirely understand what's going on. But then the other side of, of, of it is that actually the laws are fairly clear and fairly black and white but as with everything that's black and white it's actually really quite hard to interpret the mentality behind what's happening so for example it says you've got to drive straight now if you if it happens to be not going straight is that because somebody's consciously not driven straight is that because somebody on the defending team's taken a step backwards um you've got to support your own weight well if it goes down most of the time both props go down at the same time um now i'm pretty sure ben played loose head. Um so he will know more about it than, than I will. the only I, I have spent probably four seasons, um, not the hotel, um, in playing hooker. Uh but in all honesty, I didn't have a bloody clue what was happening either side <laughs> of me. I just wanted to to push as hard as I could, get kick the ball, either hook it back on my side or boot it through the other side and try to keep my spine in a straight line so that it didn't crumple and, and ruin me. Um, I mean,
0: I think the answer is, is uh, front row forwards tend to be bigger guys who get bigger as they retire and they, they just can't be top level referees because of getting around the pitch. I think it would be, a, it, it, it's probably a small niche of people that are um, front row experts, not injured enough, that they can run around and with the motivation to want to be an international ref, level referee, I think that's probably the answer to it. Because, no, as you say, no one knows what's going on up there, least of all a lot of the front row forwards. So um, yeah. yeah, I think that's. that's I mean, basically the, I, the
2: answer. The first one I said about not driving straight—that's probably the easiest one to pick. Um, you see a lot of free kicks given now for teams pushing early, but equally. I think, in my mind, there should be more about teams um, not taking the con- not taking the hit, so being re- really passive in that engage. And when you've got two teams, two two sets of eight people who are trying to engage at the same time, and it's supposed to stay over a central line, but they haven't pre-agreed how hard they're gonna gonna take that initial contact, it, it becomes a bit of a minefield. Mm. Um, and I almost think actually going back to the to the hit and get the ball in earlier you end up with you'd end up with fewer penalties um the problem is you also end up with people getting hurt because yeah. if your angles aren't right you you go backwards or you go sideways or you go bent in a big v i
0: i think russ might have actually uh had the um the answer to scrums which is set a time limit on them getting ready um just get them there and in and uh it wouldn't solve every problem but
2: well I suppose the thing the thing that I struggle with is at, at lower levels um and it probably is probably linear in that the lower down the levels you go the more obvious it is you get fewer scrum penalties and the scrums are con- generally ball goes in one side comes out comes out of the number eight's feet and gets gone um and at lower levels, there's a much higher disparity of, of skill and quality and strength mm. between the front rows. But I think there's also an acceptance that the ref isn't going to ping somebody. They just want the ball out and gone because they don't understand what's going on. So it's almost a case of they've, they've been over and and the front rows are trying to be too clever. And if they just stuck to get down and push,
0: there wouldn't be a need for any of the penalties. So, so, Ben also asks, uh, what breed of dog would each of the England first 15 be? I'm not going to get through them all, but...
2: Johnny May would be a Springer Spaniel, because he just runs around quickly with no real idea what he's doing. Um, I think Tom Curry would be a Labrador, because he's just... Oh, no, Tom Curry would be a Collie, because he's just trying to keep going all the time, round things up, just interested in that ball just want to get the ball, 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 where's the ball? Sam Underhill would be a staffy because he's just nails. No neck. But no neck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I suppose probably a bulldog more than, more than a staffy, But um, I think I've done enough there.
0: Oh, I, I had um, Johnny May as a sort of slightly discombobulated collie, um, which, which yeah. actually might be my boat name. Let's go with that, um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I definitely see the Springer. I see a little bit of um, of, of Johnny May and Duke when he uh, spots a, a seagull and takes off across the beach. Um, Owen Farrell, maybe a slightly angry lurcher. Yeah, yeah, a, a,
2: a greyhound that's just been released from his track career. Yeah, trying to find, trying to find a home. <laughs>
0: Um, so, en- enough of this whimsy. Um, Matt asks, "Never see Russ again, or fifty I'll, pounds?"
2: I'll be honest. This might shock a few people. Um, I went on rugby. I went on holiday with with Russ to Portugal. I actually quite like him. Um,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to shock <laughs> you. I like Russ, despite what I said earlier.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he can be a bit of a prick sometimes, and he is. He is. Quite, quite good for, for taking the mickey out of. But he's, he's generally a nice guy.
0: Russ is, is, is a much better guy in person than in podcast world, and certainly than oh yes. on Twitter. Um, we, we went. He's, up... he's
2: also a much nicer guy that the fewer of you are about.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which, considering we played rugby with him and that meant there were 30 people around, says something about him on the rugby pitch. Um, yeah, me, me and Russ, we uh, we went... We travelled from Cornwall to uh, Twickenham together a few times and uh, we've, I've never had uh, reason to, to not want to do it again. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll take the £50 pounds and I'll see Russ again. I think that was the options, wasn't
2: it? Take £50 pounds or, no, or... Yeah, never see Russ again or £50. Pounds. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So... Yeah,
2: yeah well done. Everyone's
0: <laughs> yeah. a winner, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, this was annoying, thanks to Frank. Frank Rigdon um what's a more annoying concept the tight headlock or the spiral bomb
2: uh tight headlock
0: if you watched the bath game if you had spiral bomb on the bingo chart you you were a winner it it must have been said about once every three minutes now Uh, I'm not
2: that you can't really see what's happening with the ball um Many times on no, no thanks to Dougie's camera work. Um, many times when it gets kicked high because it's you're generally on a wider angle lens and the ball is is a few pixels on your fourteen yeah. inch screen. Um, what is a spiral bomb? Is it just a spiral kick that goes high and not very a spiral Gary Owen? Is is that all it is?
0: Well, I I'm, think so. Yeah, it's kind I'm, of a torpedo that that goes up, so it sw- it swings as it comes down. I think although. One that they said was a spiral bomb was coming down end over end. So whether I whether I've not got the concept, um, I mean, so
2: is it just horseshit from commentators?
0: I think there's a certain degree of that, in which case I'll go for the spiral bomb. I was going to go for the tight headlock. It's it's far more annoying than the tight headlock. Because I think the tight headlock is is a thing. But I well, think it's a it's a thing that know it always like to talk about in, in in rugby commentary. It's a it's a thing
2: it's a thing for people who don't know their left from their right. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I can't be bothered learning my left from my right, but I have learnt tight head and the other one. Loose head. Okay, so here's
2: his, so, his, his torpedo punt um is apparently an Aussie rules thing, which is also known <laughs> as a screw punt. Torpedo
0: punt. torpedo punt is a fantastic name for a boat.
2: I quite like screw punt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's it's. So like, I think the prince the principle is it goes longer and it moves it so it goes higher. It, um, it drops early.
0: It. It's it's almost it, like a it's almost like a top spinner. It kind of comes. It, yeah. It, it doesn't follow the trajectory. Did you play for Hornets when we got that? Um. After the Sevens tournament, they donated a load of balls and they they were like um, they were like a, a Duke cricket ball after about 20 overs. <laughs> they come down and then they about 10 feet off the ground, they just sort of swing to the left. They were a nightmare. Um, no and
2: no. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just so I've, I've Googled Spiral Bomb and yeah. every single item on Spiral bombs are behind paywalls. Um, so the Times, the Telegraph, the Guardian, which, and the rugby paper, which makes me think that it's just commentators being wankers. Yeah.
0: Well, Phil, um, we've reached nearly an hour, um, with no more than one Partridge, uh, quote. So I think we've done pretty well there. Um, I think Alan Partridge is coming back on the 30th of April for those who haven't heard. So he's got, he has got a second series. Um, have you got any other business mate? Well, I just I, um, not
2: really, but I did want to answer one of Matt's other questions, which was, would you live on Mars? And no, I, I wouldn't live on Mars because I would miss the peanuts from Snickers. I think you've got to have a balance with your chocolate bars.
0: Yeah, you, but, you do need you need to need a bit of nutrition, don't you?
2: Yeah, uh, or I, and randomly, I like the odd Twix every now and then. So I, no, I couldn't, I couldn't live on Mars. Um, but no, no, nothing in terms of any other business. I've literally spent the last three days um chopping trees down and chainsawing them into movable sections. Um so my back is still vibrating and my arms are pretty sore. Um and that is my life at the
0: moment. Okay, so um what I what I'll do as my any other business is I think Russ wanted to mention the great mallover fixture, which is in oh, the early stages yeah. of development. So um so we kind of got talking about it at the end of last week's pod um and carried on after we stopped recording um because we are genuinely friends despite what we said earlier um uh, so so we're thinking of, of of the weekend i think it's the 9th of october yes uh, we're, we're Doug, doug's available he's coming to cornwall and uh he wants to get a game of rugby in and we thought as For semi to fully retired rugby players maybe a veterans game would be ideal and we we've spoken to um a few people with a bit of influence over local clubs and we think we can get a fixture so it's kind of an open invitation um pending absolute confirmation of the fixture to to any listeners who who want to want a game of rugby um we've got we even got hopes of Eddie Stevens coming over from um, Albuquerque. So, um,
2: yeah. So if... what, what we're trying to do is put put together a all over invitational fifteen, and and I presume this is the invitation, um, yes. to anybody who listens to to either play against one of the, one of the local sides or uh, or a Cornish Vets Barbarians team or or something like that. Um, bit of bit of old school second team standard rugby um preferably with a few beers afterwards and maybe a bottle of port at half time um maybe a rugby match afterwards and perhaps a bit of a bit of a live recording in the evening and certainly a, a chance to enjoy the the cornish sights
0: and and that that early in the autumn we we hopefully might have some nice weather so make a weekend of it and maybe uh maybe bring the families
2: not both of them just bring one of them
0: yeah don't 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 bring both your wives we don't want an atmosphere
2: (laughs) unless one of them can play hooker
0: unless one of them is a hooker who knows
2: Um, no no one of them can play hooker all right let's let's, let's Uh, be clear about this
0: so we have had other questions most of them um completely unrepeatable so we are going to leave it there um next week I'm sure Russ will be back and lending some actual structure to the podcast rather than... Um, um...
2: Dougie, the first one of those two options I would go for. For Doug's question. That's all I'm saying on it.
0: Does he mean a chicken or the other kind?
2: The other kind.
0: Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um...
2: (laughs) Preferably mine as well.
0: Yeah. The atmosphere has turned rather sour. <laughs> um, right. So um, I've, got to, I've got to do the traditional sign-off, haven't I? Um, thank you, Phil. Thank you for carrying me through the podcast. And uh, oh, go well.